foot, check your heading north, light heading at 074, check your altimeter set, 2946, corrected center point elevation, 0 feet. Check your barrel running 0, check your SCS 1230, 3034, check your field, check your speed up, lights out. Welcome to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show with David Costa. Bob, move, up there we have done, two soldiers fine. We on the airfield and airspace, you are clear. Ladies and gentlemen, David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, and I got a special guest for you today. He's also a friend of mine. He's also a crew member on our air show jet, and his name is Ty Irwin, and Ty is with the U.S. Forest Service. And if you've been not under a rock the past few weeks, you'll see that there's been a whole lot of fires going on in the West Coast And Ty has been on the fire line, and he's got a good background. He's a smoke jumper, so he's nuts. (laughs) And uh, there's a whole lot about aviation and the U.S. Forest Service and CAL FIRE and all that. So, Ty, I pulled you off of a fire to talk to me today on the Renegade Aviator Radio Show, and I certainly appreciate it. Welcome. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. All right. So you aren't burnt, right? Everything's fine. Uh, You can talk for the next uh, hour. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, not a problem. All's good with me. Well, Ty, you know, give us a little bit about your background, because your background's pretty darn cool. I mean, you're a smoke jumper, so that's cool in and of itself. Just give us a background, so you'll do a far better job of it than I will. You know me. All right. So currently, my position is fodder with the U.S. Forest Service, and basically my position is I pick jump spots for the smoke jumpers who parachute into forest fires. I get to select their spot to talk it over with the pilots that are flying the airplane, and uh, basically I slap them on the back and uh, out they go and they fly parachutes down to the ground. The other aspect of my job is currently what I've just finished up with are the fires in Santa Rosa and I'm uh, currently running around right now as a single resource. So I'm either running geographical areas of fires or uh, running equipment or hand crews, that aspect. But uh, most of my experience with the Forest Service has been in the aviation realm for the last 15 years, basically integrating aircraft in and out of uh, the airspace in what we call the fire traffic area. And in other areas known as, uh, in the pilot language, as TFRs or temporary flight restricted areas. A lot of the stuff you see on the TV with the air tankers and whatnot, in certain ways, I do coordinate those as well. Ty, you know, you're with the U.S. Forest Service. I know that the states, or in this case, I guess, CAL FIRE, they have aviation assets. So we don't have video and we don't have a whiteboard, but could you real quick explain to people kind of what's involved with the aviation assets? There's helicopters, there's fixed wing, there's smoke jumpers, and there's what they call air attack, I guess. Could you kind of explain some of that so people know what they're looking at maybe when they look up and see the cool stuff you guys are doing and helping the people on the ground? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, air, aviation and just in fire areas in general is a big asset in terms of uh, part of the attack process that we use. You mentioned the term air attack, and basically what that individual does is they're like an air traffic controller that controls the air assets that are flying within the fire traffic area. And basically that airspace is solely controlled by that individual. And we have, it's all very choreographed and uh, it's coordinated. Helicopters generally 500 feet above ground and below. And your air tankers are basically in orbit above the fire at distances up to seven miles or more out, uh, waiting for entry into the fire traffic area so they can in orbit. And then the air attack then basically choreographs how they're going to attack the fire using the retardant that we see on TV. So everything is uh, very uh, controlled. There are basically systems set up in place to keep uh, aircraft separation Air tankers above uh, in orbit are generally a thousand feet separation, and the air attack is uh, basically stacked on top of them to get the highest point of view and perspective of the entire fire area or just a certain area of the fire that they're going to be working. I guess the question is now we've got airliners, right? They're converted to air tankers, and people look up and they see the 747 or this big airplane dropping stuff on fires. Kind of explain a little bit about how they're used versus a light or smaller airplanes that we've seen, I guess. What are they called? Single-engine air attack? Single-engine air tankers is what they're called. Those are basically like your crop dusters, and um, they're usually really effective in groups, more or less like uh, two, three, four at a time. And then there's basically si- or classes, for the most part, based upon how many gallons of retardant that they actually deliver on the fire. And uh, those uh, different air tankers, right now we're in what's called the next generation air tankers, and uh, we've incorporated jet aircraft. So a lot of the stuff you're seeing now is strictly turboprop or jet engine aircraft all the way up from little S2s that are uh, really effective that CAL FIRE has. They're generally been the workhorse for them for many years and uh, very uh, powerful with their turbine engines. And then we go all the way up to 747s, which can deliver 12,000 or more gallons of retardant over a half mile or more area. So, and then we have everything in between for different uh, applications. So it's utilizing the right tool for the job. So we have different aircraft that we can use. To me, the way you're explaining it, it sounds like a combat operation. Absolutely. In a way it is. I mean, if you need to get something down and low and in uh, tight areas, you're going to use more smaller maneuverable aircraft. And then if you have wide open ridges that are uh, up high on where there's a lot more clearer air and uh, they have a nice uh, area of approach and all that, you're going to use your and you need to get a lot of retardant on the ground. You're going to use the larger air tankers, better known as uh, VLATs or very large air tankers. Some people call me a very large, I guess that V pilot, a very large pilot, but no, we won't go there. (laughs) 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 I didn't say that. Hey, we're coming up to the first break. I know I had to throw it in there. Very large. It just kind of hit me in the head. But as we come up to this first break, when we come back, Ty, what I want you to get into is a little bit about that whole fire base attitude. 
first of all, thank you for what you're doing out there because I know you guys and girls are risking your lives to help the property owners and to help put these things out. When we come back from this break, I really want to get a handle on what that fire base is like. As I said, combat, right? So uh, we'll be right back after this break. This is David Costa. I am the Renegade Aviator. We will be right back. From Broomfield, Colorado, the summer or two, the big elk was a burning. They knew what to do. They fired up her engines and taxied the line with 2,000 gallons and a promise of time. So here's to the last flight of 123. The bravest of flyers, their spirits be free. Down from the battle, they'll fight nevermore. Now up with the angels in heaven will soar. service to put out the blaze lasting for hours flying seven that day they joined the air tankers and awaited their drop with the weather so perfect no way could they stop now here's to the last flight of 123 the bravest of flyers their spirits be free down from the battle they'll fight never the curve, turning for the final, not speaking a word. They reached for the drop zone, the left wing gave way, taking 123 forever that day. So here's to the last flight of 123, the bravest of flyers, their spirits be free. Down from the battle, they'll fight nevermore. Now up with the angels in heaven will soar. Here's to the last flight of 123. The bravest of flyers, their spirits be free. Down from the battle, they'll fight nevermore. Now up with the angels in heaven will soar. After 10,000 hours of practice, the black belt is ready to begin learning. Do you want to be an elite level pilot or just someone who flies airplanes? Want to improve safety, have more confidence, enjoy flying more? Do you know any elite performer who does not use a coach? Thought so. 888-366-5256. Say, hey, Dave. I want to be a black belt aviator and we'll send you the details. 
the host of the Renegade Aviator Radio Show, David Costa. All right, segment two. This is David Costa. I am with Ty Irwin of the U.S. Forest Service. That sounds really official, Ty. Ty is a smoke jumper. Ty has been 15 years with the U.S. Forest Service. He's a personal friend of mine. He's a crew member on our air show jet. Ty, the first thing I think about when I think of a fire base, you know me, my head's in the clouds, right? So I'm thinking of the movie always, and I'm imagining this, you know, really cool thing, and everybody's dancing and drinking and having a good time at the fire base while airplanes go up and fight fires. What's kind of the reality of what you see from the aviation side, the aviators that are out there putting fires out? Generally, the aviators that work in this profession, they're really actually very professional. I mean, Hollywood is what it is, and um, it makes it look uh, that it's very cowboyish and running around and doing what they want. A lot of these uh, pilots are are very talented. They're uh, a lot of experience. Some of them have been uh, flying for 20, 30 years in this job, and they've seen the good and the bad. It definitely takes a a special person to uh, fly some of the older air tankers that we've had in the past, you know, stuff that's older than the pilots themselves. And we're asking these airframes to do things that they were never originally designed for, but they were certainly uh, did the job for us. As far as uh, like a tanker base, it's all very professional. The aircraft have to be loaded to a certain amount for airframe purposes, and the batch of retardant has to be mixed properly so it has the right consistency so you get that nice red retardant rain effect that we are are looking for. It really does start with the ability of the crews and their ability to apply the retardant where it's needed. There's always, in some of the uh, conversations I've sat in with these individuals, they do have what we call an after-action review where it is work today. What was effective? What could be better the next day? Not so much finger-pointing, but what could we have integrated better with in this case? It takes a lot of crew resource management to fly these larger generation aircraft and to coordinate them into the airspace and then all the way down the line to the tanker bases where there really isn't anybody sitting on the ground in a lawn chair saying, oh, this person is this or that or they're qualified or not to drop retardant. They're highly uh, sought after for their skills and abilities. They're actually very talented pilots. So you've got a kind of a mission command, right? You've got a base command. I'm sure there's very similar to what you've seen us do with air shows or with, you know, formation flying. So there's a pre-brief. The crews are uh, brutal with each other in the pre-brief and the post-brief is what I'm hearing. And these, as I say every week, if you want to be a pilot, you want to be an aviator, you better be thick-skinned because no matter how professional you are, no matter how good you are, you can always do better. And your peer group will bring that to your attention, not to belittle you, But to accomplish the mission, and you're working a real mission here, it's as close to combat as you can get flying into the thick of this, I guess. The crews themselves, do you notice a nervousness, or is this just ops normal? We go out and do our job. We picture this uh, danger, and I'm sure the pilots have some danger, but they're taking every step to, I guess, minimize that. Is that a fair statement? Oh, yeah, they are. I mean, they're definitely flying in an environment, I mean, that is uh, extremely hazardous. Flying over a fire, it can be extremely rough, turbulent-wise. And uh, one thing that really helps these pilots out, pick their lines and all that, is the lead plane pilot will go in first and basically guide these guys in 
to apply the retardant. So you've got a pilot on the outside who is flying a much smaller airframe. He's leading in these guys, and he's telling them whether it's a heavy chop or not when they go into inner near these fire areas. I mean, it is a lot of energy that's rising up, and it, it makes it turbulent. And there's a lot of trust there and the confidence of uh, those crews to sit there and say, all right, I can do this. We can do this safe and effective. Because at the end of the day, these men and women that fly tankers and helicopters they have families just like you do, Dave, and I do. And their most important thing is, is they want to get home at night too. But at the same time, they want to be effective for the troops on the ground so that everybody has a stake in the fight to actually get to the end goal, which is corral the fire and catch this thing and put it out. You're well aware when you're fighting one of these fires that there may be structures of at risk, right? There's structures in the line of the fire. There may be human lives there may be assets on the ground, right? Maybe people there on the ground fighting the fire. So it sounds to me, it's like a three ring circus that's highly orchestrated and there's probably a lot going on. So you've got air attack overhead. You've got a lead plane going in. You've got a bomber following in. What am I missing in the air assets? So in the air assets on another side of the fire, you'll have the helicopters dipping buckets, some of the larger uh, helicopters, the sky cranes, as we call them. They could be on another portion of a fire that is dipping water and hitting another portion or another flank of the fire while this is going on. And the uh, usually the air attack is coordinating all that. So in a good analogy, like you just said, it is a multi-ring circus and you have aircraft that are leaving the airspace for loading and returning, and they're going to different locations, different tanker bases to get either held or reloaded. And you have air tankers coming in while this is all going on over the fire. So air attack guys, they're pretty savvy and basically juggling all those balls and keeping track of things in flight and still fighting the fire at the same time. And then coordinating all that with the resources on the ground and applying the product, in this case retardant, to the affected area that the troops on the ground need. So it really is a very technical aspect that's going on at that moment. Right on. We're coming up to the next break. Ty, stay right there. Ladies and gentlemen, stay right there. David Costa, we will be right back. Smoke jumpers. They are one of the most elite firefighting squads in the United States. There are only 400 smoke jumpers in the US. They're essentially the rapid response team for wildfires. Within 15 minutes of receiving the call, these smoke jumpers are in their plane and taking off. It takes just 20 minutes to fly the 50 miles to the fire site where they find a suitable tree free landing spot, jump, deploy their parachutes, and land. The plane then circles back to parachute down boxes of equipment. Smoke jumpers carry with them enough supplies to last 72 hours completely self-supported. Food, water, shelter, safety equipment, and firefighting tools. They follow the ridgeline and make their way to the fire. There are four major factors that affect how fast a fire moves. How much fuel there is, how wet the fuel is, the wind direction, and the slope. The two factors that the team can immediately gauge that affect where the fire will move fastest are the wind direction and slope. While trees do burn, the primary source of fuel that a wildfire uses to move is the dry brush and dead wood on the forest floor, so the biggest technique used to stop forest fires is to create what's called a fire line. These are essentially a gap where they remove all fuel, plants both dead and alive, so that there's nothing for the fire to continue burning. The smoke jumpers use a mix of chainsaws and other hand tools to do this work, but sometimes fire lines are pre-built. 
The smoke jumpers need to be sure that they can escape in case the wind shift or the fire picks up speed. Wait a second, did you miss an episode of my show? Well, we have your six, aviation term there. We have your back. Search the Renegade Aviator Radio Show on that internet thing, and you'll find all kinds of places where you can hear me. Technology, an amazing thing. AV, the number eight R, iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeart, Stitcher, Google Play. You can take me with you. David Costa, Renegade Aviator. See ya. David Costa, the Renegade Aviator. Hey, we promote aviation. We promote aviators. I've got Ty Irwin from the U.S. Forest Service with me today, and he did me a favor. Look at this. He stepped away from a fire just to talk to me. Isn't that freaking cool? (laughs) (laughs) Ty, we have people out there claiming that they can't find jobs. Oh, if only I could get a job at aviation. There has to be a load of jobs in and around aviation from pilots on down to whatever in the U.S. Forest Service in firefighting. Can you help us understand a little bit about what people could do if they want to get involved? And that's the thing, Dave. Um, I hear the air tanker community is contracted based. The government is not in the air tanker business. We just contract out that to uh, aviation companies that uh, provide the aircraft themselves. And whether it's with the feds or any states or whatever, there are a plethora of jobs. I mean, the air tanker world is fighting for pilots just as hard right now as the airlines. If it comes to mechanics, they're fighting for mechanics just as hard as the airlines are. They're competing financially with them. And I mean, it is if you are talented and you are motivated to become a pilot or a mechanic, it is one of the industries right now that you could actually get in effectively and do very well. The Forest Service, we hire pilots to fly our airplanes. We have our airplanes that you can be a smoke jumper pilot. You can be a lead plane pilot. You can be an air attack pilot. It's all there. And there are plenty of opportunities in the federal government to fly airplanes. They actually have some really unique airplanes that we fly around in everything from beavers on up to the uh, Sherpa B models that we fly to. IR ships flying in corporate jet platform with a ball on the bottom and doing IR surveillance. 
That's infrared, right? There is all kinds of opportunity. Yeah, that's infrared. Okay, so here's the thing, right? So everybody goes, well, you know, it's a closed group. And, you know, I talked to one person and I wanted to be a captain on a fire bomber. And everybody laughed at me and turned me away. But you need to get started somewhere, right? So where do they go to apply? Who would they talk to? Somebody wants to get into this kind of a job because it is a unique job. Where would they start, I guess? What's the first step that somebody ought to take? One of the best pieces of advice that I would say, if there is an individual out there that's got their hours, they're looking for a job, they don't want to go to the airlines or whatever. Some of the best advice I've ever heard of, Dave, was the stuff that you tell people. If you want to get involved in aviation, go to an airport, go to a place you can get online and find a tanker base and take a tour of a tanker base. Go out and talk to the pilots. I want to meet the pilots that fly that airplane. I want to know who this company name is on the side. All these companies have websites. They have an employment page. They have HR people. One of the best things that you can do is, is have a face to go with the name, walk right in, show them what you got, what you've done in your past. And like everything else, Dave, you start at the bottom of the rung and then you work your way up. Imagine that. They're not going to expect somebody just to like, hey, I want to be a, a pilot on the 747. It doesn't quite work that way. It's like anything else. You practice, you practice, you practice, and then you apply yourself and you move up the ladder. But it takes time and you got to prove yourself. And the other thing is, is you may get there and it may be not the type of flying that you want to do. Most pilots I know don't like to fly low in that environment. It's scary down low. Most of them want to be up high. Yeah, it's (laughs) scary down low. You can tell, I can tell you that. (laughs) Well, hey, look, we're going to come up to a break here again. I got to cut you off because when we come back, you're going to talk about smoke jumping, the crazy stuff. Here we go. David Costa, Renegade Aviator. Two more segments. Stand by. Wildfires can move exceptionally fast, up to seven miles per hour in forests, which is faster than humans are often able to make their way through dense trees. In grasslands, fires can move up to 14 miles per hour, so firefighters have to be extra cautious. For this reason, firefighters rarely put themselves directly in front of the fire's moving front. They'll either be far ahead or to the side. The point of fighting wildfires is not actually to put them out, is to control them. While the number of wildfires has increased due to humans, they're actually a very natural phenomenon. What's making wildfires worse is humans stopping them. Many forests survive wildfire through trees having heat-resistant bark and other evolutionary adaptations. These fire-resistant forests relied on having wildfires at a consistent interval every few decades to clear out the forest floor of dead plants and to kill invasive species. looking to buy or sell a jet aircraft give me a call 888-366-5256 we can broker your current jet or turboprop buyers agents management services that save you so much it's like i'm working for free free consultations of course call my office leave a message get my personal call back 888-366-5256 renegade jets what else would i call it
Here he is, the host of the Renegade Aviator Radio Show, David Costa. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, you know what? So I'm talking to a smoke jumper. His name is Ty Irwin. He's a friend of mine. He's with the U.S. Forest Service. He's a crew on our TS-11 Iskra Jack Renegade Aviator coming to air shows near you in 2020 because 2019, the season's over. But Ty, the biggest, coolest thing you do is you put on big padded suits with like screens over your face and you dive out of airplanes for some unknown reason into the middle of a fire. Explain what in the heck a smoke jumper is. Doesn't it sound romantic, Dave? It does sound romantic. Well, I don't want to be romantic with you, but it does sound romantic, I will say that. In this day and age, we'll leave it there. But uh, yeah, I've I've been a uh, smoke jumper now for uh, 15 years for the Forest Service out of my 24 seasons uh, in fire total. And uh, basically what I do is I go to all the fires that are hard to get to. They're remote where sometimes there are no roads and uh, basically fly a parachute down to the ground and uh, land in an open uh, meadow or a spot uh, somewhere free of timber or a brushy ridge or something. And uh, basically that's my mode of transportation to get to the fire what's known as uh, an initial attack resource. However, we can easily transition into extended attack and then mold right into the larger campaign fires if necessary. It's really a dynamic occupation, been around since the late 1930s, early 1940s. It's heavily beneficial to the land managers because we reach those places that are sometimes just hard to deal with. Basically, what we do is we solve problems. So we take care of the small fires that you generally never hear about. You never see them on the news. And nobody ever knows that we've gone in, done our job, and walked out. Most of my gear weighs about just shy of 100 pounds and then plus all the other equipment we carry in. So when I pack out this stuff, it's kind of an odd world. You know, I get to have the fun of two and a half, three minutes of flying a parachute down to the ground. But then I pay for it. When I got to load everything up and hike it out of the woods, and sometimes that can be multiple miles and some place where we can get to a trail or something to uh, basically get out of the woods. So it's a very unique job. Hopefully not surrounded by uh, flames on the way in. So how did you get started? Were you a a competition skydiver? I mean, how would you get started into smoke jumping? Did you have previous skydiving experience? Not really skydiving. It's different. It's unique. There's nowhere else you can be a smoke jumper except to be a smoke jumper. And that's the thing is I never got put on a parachute or skydive prior to uh, going to work for the Forest Service. I started out on an engine 20-something years ago, worked my way into the hand crews, did that for several years, applied to the smoke jumper program because I thought it was unique. It's a challenge. It's a self kind of uh, motivating type uh, occupation where it's all on me. I mean, it's up to me. I mean, it's a true essence of making your own decisions and challenging yourself and overcoming your fears and having confidence in your abilities and skills. And basically, I started getting into it to pay for college. And that fire kept going, and I just stayed with it. And then I got into the smoke jumper world, and I've gotten to see a lot of places that nobody will ever see. And I've been to some places where I actually become part of the food chain. But um, <laughs> literally, <laughs> it, it really is. Oh, yeah. In Alaska, you jump right in, and you're like, hey, there's bears there, and they're bigger than I am. But um, it's actually very safe, in my opinion. 
but the training is rigorous. It's designed that way. We're currently jumping uh, square parachutes now. So I've evolved from a round parachute to a square parachute and came very natural to me because you fly the square parachute just like you fly an airplane. So all the pattern stuff was just like going back to primary flight training and just go, oh, you know, they're telling me about pattern flying and it was like, oh, this is easy thing. I mean, we have terminology like stalling and all this. So it's very simple um, to understand from an aviation perspective. So it's probably from hearing what you said as we're coming up to the end here, but uh, for all the headaches, for all the BS of being in a government job, I guess it is freedom, right? You jump out of that airplane. It sounds dangerous as all get up, but then you're on your own. That's where the leaders show through, and uh, you're one of those leaders, a guy that can go out there and work on their own. All of us hate, I guess, is a certain breed of individual, right? Let me get out there and do my darn job and leave me alone. Uh, we got about 30 seconds left, Ty. So first thing I want to do is I want to thank you for coming on. And by all means, get back to the fire. Thank you, Dave. All of us out here that are watching these fires burn, we're blessed to have people like you out there. Uh, thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Have a good one. All right. Well, when you're done jumping out of airplanes in the fires, uh, coming out to the hangar. <laughs> yeah, I need to get back to work on that. Right on, man. Ty, thank you so much. Proof of what happens when you go out there and kick some ass it is a very tough job. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate all your insight and uh, Godspeed, man. All right. We'll see you soon, Dave. See you. Most of the fires that we go to are the fires that you'll never hear about. They're the fires that we're going to catch. And fires don't behave themselves. You know, they're going to do what they want to do unless you, you dictate otherwise. What we do is we, um, we break up into a couple different groups and we try to cut line around the fire. That's removing all the fuel on the outside edge of the fire with chainsaws and, and hand tools. So the fire theoretically can't spread anymore then you can start mopping it up. The way we mop up with no water is basically you just have to stir, stir it up with dirt and cool it. Then everybody gets down on their hands and knees and they hand feel the entire fire with bare hands and you feel for any heat. I'm scared a lot of the time in this job and uh, pain and like, I think there's some word that means finding pleasure in pain and Pretty sure we all have that characteristic. I know more of what could happen now because I've seen a lot of things happen. Whereas when you're a brand new smoke jumper, you don't even know what the realm of possibility is. You just go with it. And as a manager, you know, as I'm, I, I am responsible for these people, I, I'm constantly, um, you know worried that everybody's going to be okay. Questions, comments, suggestions, or inspirational stories Call the Renegade Aviator, dial 888-366-5256 anytime and leave us a message. Want to listen to all of our shows? Find us on iTunes, Google Play, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, 
or anywhere you find podcasts. Just search The Renegade Aviator Radio Show, AV, the number 8R, renegadeaviator.com. So Questions, comments, suggestions, or recommendations? Call the Renegade Aviator at 888-366-5256 anytime and leave us a message. Okay, this is David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, segment five. And uh, the sound quality may be a little bit different if you're listening to me on the radio, but uh, if you are lucky enough to be on our brand new YouTube channel. Just look for Renegade Aviator on YouTube and you can see me in the cockpit of one of the jets that I fly, here it is. But for those of you listening to the radio show, first and foremost, I really wanna put a shout out to the aerial firefighters. We've had a lot of fires out on the West this year and uh, those guys and gals are doing just an outstanding job. And thank you, Ty Irwin of the U.S. Forest Service for uh, making the time coming off of the fire line just to be a part of this show. So Ty is one of our crew members on the air show team. So for those of you that want to get involved in stuff in life, as you heard Ty talk about in the third segment, he talked about kind of the same thing I talk about. If you want to learn more about being an aerial firefighter pilot, get in your car, go to the airport, and go talk to people that are doing exactly what it is you want to do. If you want to be a part of our air show team, well, contact us. We always need volunteers for the air show stuff. We have a, uh, a crew that does, obviously, to puts the radio show together and does other stuff, and we have a paid crew that maintains our airplanes, but there's a lot of volunteer opportunities for you as well. The cockpit I'm in today is a Lear 60. I manage a Lear 60 and fly a Lear 60. Great airplane. One of my favorite airplanes to fly. If you're on our YouTube channel and Renegade AV, the number 8R, you can see me, my lovely face, and you will certainly find out that there is a reason why Dave Costa, the Renegade Aviator, does radio not normally video. And when I do do video, I tend to wear a helmet and a mask in the cockpit of my air show jet. <laughs> so anyway, ladies and gentlemen, once again, there's opportunity out there for you. This radio show is about helping you. So the first thing you need to do is take down my phone number, 888-366-5256. That's how I can help you. If you contact me, I will send you a Renegade Aviator decal. And wait a second, watch. If you're on YouTube, it's right behind my head. There is, look at that. There, We look the same, don't we? There is the Renegade Aviator decal. Contact me. We're giving out swag. If you write me a testimonial or call my office at 888-366-5256 and give a testimonial for the show and leave your t-shirt size, you are going to get a free Renegade Aviator t t-shirt. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This is David Costa. I am the Renegade Aviator. See ya! No more. So peace.